We're in the book of Acts. We're studying the book of Acts together, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We find ourselves in chapter 4, the sermon series entitled Spirit-Empowered Mission. The Gospel of Luke and Acts was written by Dr. Luke, the physician, who wrote the gospel as, as he was uh, investigated and, and, and learned the things about Jesus and wrote a, an orderly account for us of all that Jesus did. And Acts is all that Jesus continues to do through the work of the church, particularly the apostles who were empowered by the Spirit, and then, of course, through the rest of uh, our age until Jesus returns. So Spirit-empowered mission, that's where we're at. So last week we were in chapter 5. Actually, we're going to be in chapter 5 today. I could chapter 4. I apologize. We're in chapter 5. Nathan did a great job, preached on Ananias and Sapphira, and we saw the judgment of God. They weren't living in community. They had hoarded their goods. Um, They lied against the Holy Spirit, and God brought judgment upon that church. Uh, What I want to do today is a little bit different than what I normally do. We're just going to look at a couple of verses, number one. That's not usually the case, but we're going to spend a little more time talking about signs, wonders, and miracles today, Um, particularly that which was going on in the early church. And I want to talk about it a little bit, and then we'll move into our baptism uh, service as well, so maybe 20 or 30 minutes. The reason why I want to do that is we see signs, wonders, and miracles happening throughout the book of Acts, particularly up to chapter 15 and some other places after that. We see uh, these signs, these miracles that are taking place through the apostles and other people, and this way... Let's deal with it in in completion today, and then as we get to those chapters, you know, we don't have to stop and deal with, you know, signs, wonders, and miracles. We're going to deal with that today. Also, I want to deal with it in in, in a topical sense today is because some of you come from churches from different backgrounds. Maybe some of you come from more of a charismatic church where signs and wonders was a normative, was something that they pursued, it was something that they they, they ran after, it was something that was expected to happen on a Sunday morning. And some of you come from churches where they've got, you know, the men of God and the, and the people of God did not really pray for miracles, did not really pray publicly for healings and, and, and for miracles and signs and wonders. And, uh, you know, when it showed up from time to time, it was, you know, not really expected. And uh, some of you come from in between all that. And that's, I think, where I'm at now. So I want to deal with it from a, from a biblical and a balanced approach as we look at signs, wonders, and, and miracles. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 5, I do not have the verses up on the screen. We're only dealing with four or five verses. There are Bibles in the back. Um, if you need a Bible, you want to raise your hand. Uh, we'll, we'll get you a Bible. My brother's sitting in the back there. We can grab one. Uh, we'll, we'll bring one to you. We're in Acts chapter 5, or just get one yourself. Verse 12. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Anybody need a Bible, just raise your hand. Acts 5.12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord's multi- to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, verse 15, so that even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by and least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were healed. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray one more time if we could. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for this orderly and accurate account of what took place. And God, we, we want to see Jesus. We want him to get glory. We want to, to uh, rightly and accurately divide the word of God. So Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, come that you may open our hearts and minds uh, and help us to see what you want us to see. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice that you have joined us and, and reconciled us to the Father. Father, Son, and Spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen. So verse 12, he writes, Now, the Greek word D means but. In other words, you saw what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, and now in contrast to God taking them out, right? Uh, they still got dirt mounds where they're like they, they were out in the field. He says, but even though that was going on, there was something else going on. There were, there were signs and there was wonders and, and people were, were being added to the church. And that people were, were uh, seeing signs and wonders from the apostles that even the shadow of Peter would pass by people and they would be healed. So you have judgment of God, you have what's going on with the Anastasiris, but Luke, the writer, wants to tell us that there's other things going on as well. That people were getting healed, people were getting saved, the church was continually growing faster right now than ever before. So what I want to do is just step back from that scene and define some terms so we're all talking about the same thing, okay? The first term I want to define with signs and wonders is the word sign. The word sign means it's a mark, it's a, it's a, 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 a token, it's, it's used, I think, 77 times in the New Testament. 24 of them, in, in Luke wrote that word sign. 24 of them. Uh, 11 of them are in the gospel, and 13 times he used that word sign in, the, in Acts. It means a mark. It means a token with a spiritual end and, and a purpose. And when they used the word sign in reference to miracles, it was used to lead to something out of and beyond the sign itself. In other words, the significance was not so much the sign itself, but what it pointed to. It was a sign pointing to something. A sign in Scripture, even in the New Testament, is not always linked to a miracle, but it's always pointing to something else. If you remember in the Old Testament, it was a sign of circumcision. It was a sign of the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant that God gave. The, sign, the, the circumcision wasn't the covenant, but it was a sign of the covenant. In the New Testament, you might remember as we get ready to celebrate Christmas, uh, the angel of the Lord came to the shepherds by night in a field. And they, and they told him about the Messiah's birth. And what did they tell him? He said, and this will be a sign for you. This is what you will see. This is what will point to what we're saying to be true. What you will see is a child wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Sign points to something. Wonder, teros in the Greek, 16 times in the New Testament. Nine in the book of Acts, Luke writes for us, is when people see a miracle take place, they're amazed, they're astonished, they're, they're in awe of God. Acts chapter 3, if you remember, the lame man was healed, and he went walking and leaping and praising God. And the Bible tells us in chapter 3 that the people saw him walking, saw him praising God, they were filled with wonder. They were filled with amazement. They were, they were just blown away by all that had happened to him. Now, when we get to the word miracle, which is our next word that we're going to define, that has a little bit of a different definition. People have different definitions for, for miracle. Some people say it's a direct intervention of God. 
that God just comes and intervenes in a miraculous way. Some people say that it is an exception to the natural law, that things go on the way um, nature was set up and God created it to be, and that God would intercede in that point and make some exceptional move within natural history. But that definition has problems with it. Because that definition is more of a deistic or deism definition than the Bible teaches. That definition says that God had set the world in motion and kind of like, you know, sat back and, you know, on his rocking chair. And then every once in a while he'd go, you know, I wonder what's going on down there. And he would show up and do something miraculous and then go back sitting on his rocking chair and doing whatever he likes to do. That's a problem with that. I like Wayne Grudem. I like his definition of miracle. Wayne Grudem says, a miracle is a less common kind of God's activity in which he arouses people's awe and wonder, we saw that, and bears witness, that's the sign, bears witness to himself. Now, this definition takes into account that God is actively involved, persevering, and holding the world together. It takes into account that the blood that's flowing through your bodies right now, pumping through your heart, the very things that sustain the universe, that it doesn't explode or implode, is because God is sovereignly good, and it's a miraculous work of God that he holds all things together. Some of you know that I was on, on a ship recently, on a cruise, and, and I, there are times I just looked over in the middle of the ocean, and I thought, this is probably crazy for some of you, but this is what I thought. God knows where every single fish is in the ocean. And I mean, you may not think that when I look, but that's what I look at, and that's what I see. I'm like, that is, you know, I think the captain said it was like 1,200 feet down to the bottom. Like, God knows every single swimming thing in the ocean, exactly where it is, exactly what's going on. Mind-boggling. So Wayne Grudem's definition, I think, fits well, because it, it, it defines... Miracle, the, the, the kind of miracle that we see in the New Testament, the kind of miracles that we see in the Bible, but yet it doesn't devalue kind of like God still is a miraculous God, just holding all things together. But we don't want to water it down. We don't want to say that every answer to prayer is this miraculous work. So there is that less common. You see what he says? It's a less common. But we recognize that God is a powerful, unbelievable you know, incredible, powerful God. So, so when we see prayer being answered and, and everyone is just blown away and amazed and astonished, we say that that's a miracle. And that's okay with that. That's okay with that definition. But let's not think that God just shows up now and again. He's very involved in our lives. Not a sparrow falls from the ground without God knowing, okay? So God pers- preserves the world by the, by the might of his power, the Bible says, okay? But when we pray, Lord, we're... So-and-so's in a coma, and they're going quickly. And we pray over them, and they open up their eyes. We say, that was the work of God. We've had miracles happen here. We had people who were diagnosed with, with terminal cancer, and, and they were healed. We say, that's not just a regular answer to prayer. You know, Lord, I'm lost. You know, can you get me to the stewards? Oh, there's the stewards. That's good. But there's difference, wouldn't you say? Right? Amen? So it's a remarkable work of God. So you have the sign, it points to something, you have the wonder, it's just, that was an, that God did something right there. And then you have the miracle that brings on wonder. So let's, let's do this, let's answer a couple of questions, and we'll, and we'll keep this text open in Acts chapter, chapter 4, uh, chapter 5, okay? Who, in the scripture, performs wonders and miracles? Luke says in our chapter here that it was the apostles. 
You see, now many signs and wonders were doing regularly by the hands of the apostles, verse 12. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they, the Christians, were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the apostolic teaching, and the fellowship, the breaking of bread. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostle. In our text, we see that it was Peter's shadow, which is kind of like an extension of the person. When they say his shadow, they look at it as an extension, was healing people, sort of like Jesus in his cloak. Remember the woman who was, had a blood disorder? She didn't touch Jesus. She grabbed his cloak. It was an extension of who he is. And people were being healed. 2 Corinthians 12 says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, uh, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So in other words, the miraculous powers were given to those apostles that people could look and see and say, that's God's man, that's God's appointee. It authenticated the messenger and the message of the gospel and showing true uh, spirit-filled, spirit-led truth teaching of the apostles. So they did signs and wonders to confirm and validate, to confirm and validate the apostles' witness, and it connected them to the ministry of Jesus. Jesus preached the gospel, healed, did miracles, signs, and wonders, and then the apostles who were witnesses of his death, burial, and resurrection are given that power, pointing back that Jesus is still doing work. Look what he's doing. He's doing just what their master did. We also know there were other people in the Bible that did signs and wonders. We know that Stephen in the book of Acts and Philip did miracles, signs, and wonders, and healings. Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 20, 72 men, two by two, in every town, giving them special powers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says to the church, when Paul writes to the church and gives a description of, of spiritual gifts, that some of the gifts were miracles, signs, and wonders. So you have the apostles, you have a few other people in the book of Acts, you have it as a spiritual gift, but let me tell you folks, Satan and false teachers perform signs, miracles, and wonders. I hate to tell you that, but it's true. In Deuteronomy 13, 18, Moses talks about false teachers and false prophets in the Old Testament. Just because someone has power to heal people and do signs and wonders, do not automatically assume that they are stamped with God's approval. In the days of Moses, if you remember the story, the Egyptian pharaoh had magicians who did signs and wonders. Some people, unfortunately, and, and, and I'm not judging, I can relate, when they have a serious problem or a serious illness, they'll look for anything and anyone to bring relief. And family, I'm just telling you, according to Scripture, that can be very dangerous. Going to false religions, uh, praying to, you know, uh, certain rocks and, 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 and certain spiritual uh, entities and spiritualities and Eastern non-Christian, non-biblical activities to be healed is very, very, very dangerous and forbidden in Scripture. Matthew 24, Jesus says, if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, or, or there he goes, do not believe, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So here's the big idea. Satan is willing to heal you as long as you go and be condemned along with him. He will give you a physical healing so that you can have eternal damnation. That's a problem. 
So we need to pray and keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to pray and ask God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father. We need to go to men who love Jesus, who, who pray to Jesus, who worship Jesus, right? And, and seek, if we want, from God, not from false gods. So here's a, here's a big questions that I think we have to deal with. This, this, again, we're going to go through this in the book of Acts. Are signs and wonders and miracles for today? Are signs and wonders and miracles for today? 2013, going to be 14, Glenmont, New York. Is it for today? I'm going to tell you there are three groups. There are what they call the secessionists. Okay? And these three groups, within those three groups, they're people who love Jesus, really do. They love their Bible. They love Jesus. They love the gospel. But there are also people within those three groups are wingnuts and, and crazy people. <laughs> Just like in our family, right? There's some people like you want to over and the other people are like, I hope they don't come over, right? So there are people within that that really love each other, care for each other, and, and, and work together. But there are three groups, Major groups. There are, there are nuances in each one of them, which I'm not going to get into. It'll be here forever. So, but let me just tell you what they are. Secessionists believe that the sign gifts of tongues, prophecy, which signs, wonders, and healings are included, ceased in the first century with the apostles. The Holy Spirit no longer uses individuals to perform miracles. All, all the really cool sign gifts stopped at first century, right? It's a, it's a Christmas nightmare is what it is. They, they would say and they would argue that the Bible's record shows that there are certain periods of time that God magnified himself and used other people to perform specific miracles during specific times mainly to authenticate a new message or a new work of God. Like Moses was able to perform miracles before Pharaoh, Exodus 4. Elijah, the prophet, Miracles to authenticate his ministry before Ahab, first kings. Okay, the apostles uh, before Israel were, were given authority to perform miracle signs and wonders. Jesus, even John, the apostle, called Jesus' miracles working as a sign. They would argue that after the Bible was written, after the authentication, like he's the guy, he was with Jesus. After that was done, the Bible was written. There was no need for those types of gifts anymore, and therefore God ceased giving those gifts out to people. That's what they would argue. There would be no need. They would say, to be fair, secessionists would say God still does miracles. He just doesn't do it through the gifts given to men. He'll do it at his will. But men don't necessarily have those gifts. John MacArthur is in that camp. B.B. Warfield is in that camp. Then there are those, the second group, that, are, that believe that signs and wonders are normative. Whenever the gospel is preached, you're going to see signs and wonders. Guys in that camp are John Wimber, maybe some of you heard of him from the Vineyard Movement, or Peter Wagner from Fuller Theological Seminary. This movement is called Third Wave Movement or Power Evangelism. They believe when the gospel is preached, God's going to show up and there's going to be miracles that are going on. They closely hold to the fact that the Bible does not say specifically and explicitly that signs and wonders have stopped. There's no one verse that says that. And they're quick to show people that verse, you know, that doesn't say that. They emphasize... That when, when, when Jesus preached the gospel, he didn't just preach it, he validated with signs publicly that the kingdom that, he, that Jesus inaugurated showed up in the lives of people. People were healed. That's what the kingdom's going to look like. Demons were, were uh, uh, exercised. That's what the kingdom's going to look like. Jesus came preaching a kingdom and showing a kingdom. That's what they would say. And, and they say that's going to keep happening until the kingdom finally and fully comes at the return of Christ. So it would be something that would be normative. 
we, we talk about the kingdom, we talk about it being already and not yet. It's already because Jesus came, and it's not yet because it's not fully here yet. Still sin in the world, right? So those people, the third wave John Wimber kind of normative would say, you know what, it, it, it's already. They would not deal so much with the not yet part. They're looking at the already part. That would be kind of where, where they would fall into that group, okay? Now, there are those that aren't secessionists. There are those that are not normatives. There are those, like myself, uh, and, and many uh, people here that hold to an open but cautious view. We would say we're open and cautious. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way. We disagree with those who say that these things were miracle signs and wonders, that these things were confined to the apostolic period. We disagree equally, equally with those who say that all these things should always be manifested in the church. What we say is that the matter is for the sovereignty of the Spirit. So we're open but cautious. That, that's kind of that's where I'm at. The kingdom has come in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. But unlike John Wimber, we're, in the, we're not in the yet. You know, we're, we're, it's already, but it's not yet. We don't see there's a brokenness in this world. There's a disintegration in this world. Things are not getting better. Things are getting worse. We're not yet. We're getting there. Jesus is going to come back. When, we don't know, but he will. Second, we're cautious because even though there are certain periods of time that God did show miraculous signs, we would say, amen, there were certain periods of time, but we would also say, you know what? God can do what he wants. God can do what he wants. We recognize the fact that he has done some great things through Moses, the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus, but we want to have a balanced approach. I mentioned this quote. I'm going to do it again. Uh, John Piper wrote, On the one hand, we ought to honor the uniqueness of Jesus and the apostles, and of that revelatory moment in history that gave us the foundational doctrines of the faith, the scriptures, and life in the New Testament. On the other hand, we ought to be open to the real possibility that this too might be a unique moment in history. And in that moment, or in this moment, it may well be God's purpose to pour out his spirit in unprecedented revival. Revival to love, Christ, and a zeal to worship, and a passion for lost people, and a missionary thrust with signs and wonders. We're like, you know what, we're open, we're cautious. Third, we're open and cautious because one thing I keep saying over and over, and I'll never get tired of saying this, never. We will always remember that the power of God is the gospel. The scriptures are clear. Jesus said, a wicked and gen- a wicked adulterous generation seeks after signs it is the attitude of i demand from you god you will show up i i i demand it you said it now i'm holding you to it a kind of an attitude of superiority a demand a resistant heart and unwilling to believe just the simple truth of the gospel we reject that we share the gospel so we're not looking for the latest thing we're pursuing jesus we're not chasing signs we're chasing jesus romans 1 16 makes it very clear the gospel is the power of god unto salvation it's not signs and wonders it is the gospel that is the power of god first corinthians jews demand signs greeks seeks wisdom paul says but we preach christ crucified the power of god that's where the power lies in the saving work of jesus can Miraculous things happen when we pursue Jesus. I hear from you all the time. Loving Jesus, worshiping Jesus, seeking after Jesus, pursuing Jesus, treasuring Jesus, and, and, and I'm seeing God do things. I'm seeing God heal people. I'm seeing miraculous work happen. It's not regular, it's not normative, but God does do those things. I would say amen to that. And what's the purpose of it? Let me give you a couple. Number one, we already said it's the authentication. Of the message in the messenger. You know Nicodemus came to Jesus. 
And this is what he said to Jesus. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. It authenticates the ministry. It also advances the gospel. We see that in our text. People came to faith. In Acts chapter 8, Philip heals a man. And it signs and wonders, and it said there was much joy in that city. In Acts chapter 9, Peter goes to Lydia and heals a man. It says, all the residents saw him, and they turned to the Lord. It is a gospel proclamation, and people are coming to faith in Jesus. It's not just raw power of God. Wow, look how great that was. It's, I'm a wicked sinner. I need salvation. I'm going to repent of my sin and trust Jesus. Third, it does, it, the Bible does talk about, Jesus said this. He said, if it is by the Spirit of God, he's talking to the Pharisees, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, has come upon you. You have seen it. It's an expression of the kingdom. It, is, it bears witness to the truth that that's what our kingdom is going to look like when King Jesus comes back. There'll be no demon oppression. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no sin. There'll be no cancer. There'll be no injustice. There'll be no poverty. There'll be no racism. Fourth is believe human suffering. We can't just skip that. I think Jesus took great joy in healing a blind man who could never see and now he sees again. I think Jesus took great joy taking a son who was dead and returning this alive boy back to his mom who was suffering at the death of her child. I think God take great joy of a man who, who laid beggar on the street, dirty and filthy, and, and, and had a beg and raised him and was able to restore him back to the worship in the temple to relieve human suffering. But I'll tell you what the greatest purpose of miracles is, the glory of God. It's the glory of God. It is the glory of God. Matthew 9, 8, when the crowd saw it, talking about a miracle, they were afraid and they glorified God. The ultimate goal is not healing. Healing is uh, subsidiary, it's secondary. The primary goal is the glory of God. God is glorified. People worship, people rejoice, people sing, and they celebrate. That's what God is after, the worship of God. The greatest display of the glory of God, the greatest display of the goodness of God, the incalculable worth of God is Jesus and the gospel. Does God heal physically? Yes, but most importantly, he changes the heart. He, he takes a heart that, is, that has been running from him and he gives him a new heart that wants to seek after him. And that displays his glory and that displays his, good, his goodness. And I will tell you, no matter who you are, no matter what healing back then or even now or any time in between, you're gonna die. Sorry to tell you, if you didn't know that. The greatest display of the glory of God is in Christ to show that he can not only just heal physically but heal you eternally that you could spend eternity with him that he can reconcile a broken relationship to with you and the father in a way that you could never do yourself it is by grace and grace alone it is by grace and grace alone all of us deserve death hell and damnation and God gives us grace mercy and goodness that is the greatest healing and the ultimate display of the glory of God. The ultimate display of the glory of God. The great thing God is after is healing the brokenness of humanity. It's evil, it's darkness, it's desperation by the gospel. So no matter what the sign, no matter what the healing, the greatest miracle that we need is a miracle of forgiveness of our sins. So let me end by saying a couple things about a balanced approach. Not everybody's going to get healed. 
There are wing nuts and charlatans out there, right? Send me $50, I'll tuck a little hanky in the thing with my sweat on it, you know. We reject that, okay? We reject that. You send me $500, I'll send you a little seed, I'll put it in an envelope, I'll send it to you. You put it in the ground, you bow over it 10 times, and your cancer's gone. Like, we reject that, okay? One of the interesting things about Acts, if you read it, and I hope you are, is that everyone who had these powers, like that God used to heal people, got their head cut off. I wish that was the case today, right? All those guys on television flying around in their jets and all their fancy clothing. It's like, you know, the next healing you do, we're chopping your head off. He's like, okay, good, I'm going to do it anyway because I want to see Jesus magnified. So you cut my head off, but I'm going to preach the gospel and miracles going to happen. That's, you know, that's not going to happen. They're like, nah, I'll take my money, I'll go. You know what I mean? That's what you're going to say. But in Acts, it's like, I'm preaching the gospel. People getting healed, I know they're coming after me. I know they're going to take my head off. They did it to James, right? But I'm doing it anyway. That'd be somebody I would go talk to. That'd be somebody I would go to. We also reject the teaching. And some folks, maybe you've heard this before, and and I'm happy to declare this to you, that Jesus Christ on the cross died for our sins and guaranteed by the cross, by the atonement, by the work on the cross, guaranteed your physical healing right now. That is not true. That is not biblical. Paul the apostle wasn't healed. Three times, Lord, take this, take this from me. The Lord's like, no, I don't think so. You could be a real arrogant jerk. I'm going to keep that. I'm going to humble you by it. My grace is sufficient for you. Read it in 1 Corinthians 12. Okay? So, you know, not everyone is going to be healed. Will everyone be healed in the future? Family? Is every believer of Jesus going to be healed? Absolutely. It won't be this case in this day, maybe, but it will be in the day to come. Jesus suffered and died and was buried. You know why? We suffer, we die, and we get buried. Jesus rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, and Jesus, his people, the church, will have victory over sin and death. We will get a glorified body. Read 1 Corinthians 15. But now, we still suffer. We still suffer. It will be as God created it to be. But for now, if we need a miracle, pray for healing. Like, pr- pray. Pray for healing. If the Bible says in James chapter 5, just so you know, if you don't know this already, James chapter 5 says, if you're sick, call the elders. It's like humble yourself and make, pick up the phone. Talk to the elders. We'll pray over you. We'll anoint you with oil. We do that here. We believe that. We're not going to demand it of God. We're going to ask God, our Father, our Dad in heaven. That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk to him. It says the prayer of a faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. So we're going we're gonna to pray. We believe that, Okay. And I want you to ask for healing, but recognize that God does not have to be bent by your sovereignness and what you want. He has his plans. We should not try to manipulate him and try to bind him like pagans do when they pray. Who is going to heal? I don't know. We're just going to ask God. Think about it this way. This is the way I think about it. If God is your father because of Jesus the son died for your sins, you belong to him, and he's your father in heaven, and you were sick, would he not want you to come and pray? Would you want your children to come to you when they have problems, suffering, and hurting? Absolutely. Maybe you could do something. Maybe you can't. I know God is sovereign, and we're not. I'm not trying to say that. But I'm simply saying, I'm going to pray in faith, believing that God is sovereign and omnipotent and can do as he wish. And I'm going to lay before God's feet, and whatever he chooses, I'm going to believe, as Paul did, that maybe this is for my own self. So I'm not such a knucklehead. Maybe this is for my own character building. Maybe for this is for the glory of God to be displayed in some other way in my life. I don't know. But I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. 
in it. It's going to keep me humble, then let it keep me humble. Here's the bottom line. We also reject the circus and the horse and the pony show. That's all about the raw power of God. What we want here, and we'll see in about a couple of minutes here in this baptism, is keep Christ, the gospel, at the center. Keep Christ, the gospel, and the glory of God at the center. Pursue Jesus, love Jesus, worship Jesus. People are going to be baptized in a few minutes because they love Jesus. We're going to pray, we're going to ask about people in community groups, pray for one another. Pray for healing, pray for the miracle you're looking for. But trust God no matter what happens in your life. I, I, it kills me when people say you're not healed because you didn't pray hard enough or it's your fault somehow. Come on. Paul was not healed. He left other people sick, the Bible says. So we're going to pray and we're going to trust God in it. And let me give you one last verse to close and I'll move my little stand here. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jew, folly to the Gentiles, but those who are called, that's salvation, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him, what? Crucified. Band, come on up. We're going to have baptisms because these people, three people, make a public profession that, you know what, I'm trusting Christ. For the forgiveness of my sins, for the washing of my sins, and I'm going to publicly declare that to you and to the world and to the unseen uh, demons and to the spiritual angels that I belong to Jesus. Can God do a work? Absolutely. Can God do miracles, signs, and wonders? Absolutely. But we're going to pursue Jesus. We're going to pursue Jesus. So if you're getting baptized, you're going to come in the back of my office, grab your stuff. Everyone else, let's stand together. Let's worship, and we'll come right out and get this baptism going.